Section three of the K Factor by Harry Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three. Neil raised his head, and his eyes were ten years older. Positive, bad, much worse than it was when we left Earth. How much time do we have? Don't know for certain, Neil shrugged. I can set it up and get an approximation, but there is no definite point on the scale where war has to break out, just a going and going until somewhere along the line. I know, gone, Costa said, reaching for his gun. He slid it into his side pocket. Now it's time to stop looking and start doing. What do I do? Going to kill War Marshal Lomorod? Neil asked distastefully. I thought we had settled that you can't stop a war by assassinating the top man. We also settled that something has to be done to change the K-factor. The gun is for my own protection. While you're radioing results back to Earth, and they're feeling bad about it, I'm going to be doing something. Now you tell me what that something is. This was a different man from the relaxed and quietly efficient Adao Costa of the past week. All of his muscles were hard, with the restrained energy of an animal crouching to leap. The gun, ready in his pocket, had a suddenly new significance. Neil looked away, reaching around for words. This was all very alien to him, and suddenly a little frightening. It was one thing to work out a K-problem in class and discuss the theory of correction. It was something entirely different to direct the operation. Well, Costa's voice knifed through his thoughts. You can, well, it's possible to change one of the peak population curves, isolate individuals and groups, then effect status and location changes. You mean get a lot of guys to take jobs in other towns through the commercial agents? Neil nodded. Too slow. Costa withered the idea with his voice. Fine in the long run, but of absolutely no value in an emergency. He began to pace back and forth. Too quickly. It was more of a bubbling over than a relaxation. Can't you isolate some recent key events that can be reversed? It's possible. Neil thought about it quickly. It wouldn't be a final answer, just a delaying action. That's good enough. Tell me what to do. Neil flipped through his books of notes, checking off the Beta-13s. These were the reinforcers, the individuals and groups who were K-factor amplifiers. It was a long list which he cut down quickly by crossing off the low increment additions and multiple groups. Even while the list was incomplete, Neil began to notice a pattern. It was an unlikely one, but it was there. He isolated the motivator and did a frequency check, then sat back and whistled softly. We have a powerhouse here, he said, flipping the paper across the table. Take this organization out of the equations, and you might even knock us negative. Society for the Protection of the Native Born, Costa read. Doesn't sound like very important. Who or what are they? Proof positive of the law of averages. It's possible to be dealt a royal flush in a hand of cards, but it isn't very common. It's just as possible for a bunch of simpletons to set up an organization for one purpose and have it turn out to be a supercharged, high-frequency K-factor amplifier. That's what's happened with this infernal SPNB, a seedy little social club dedicated to jingoists with low IQs. With the war scare, they have managed to get hold of a few credits. 
they have probably been telling the same inflated stories for years about the discrimination against natives of this fair planet, but no one has really cared. Now they have a chance to get their news releases and faked pics out in quantity, just at a time when the public is ripe for their brand of nonsense. Putting this bunch out of business will be a good day's work. Won't there be repercussions? Costa asked. If they are this important and throw so much weight around, won't it look suspicious if they are suddenly shut up, like an obvious move by the enemy? Not at all. That might be true if, for instance, you blew up the headquarters of the war party. It would certainly be taken as an aggressive move. But no one really knows or cares about this society of the half-baked native-born. There might be reaction and interest if attention was drawn to them. But if some accident or act of nature were to put them out of business, that would be the end of it. Costa was snapping his lighter on and off as he listened to Neil, staring at the flame. He closed it and held it up. I believe in accidents. I believe that even in our fireproof age, fires still occur, buildings still burn down. And if a burnt building just happened to be occupied by the SPNB, just one tenant of many, and their offices and records were destroyed, that would be of very little interest to anyone except the fire brigade. You're a born criminal, Neil told him. I'm glad we're on the same side. That's your department, and I'll leave it to you. I'll just listen for the news flashes. Meanwhile, I have one little errand to take care of. The words stopped Costa, who was almost out the door. He turned stiffly to look at Neil, putting papers into an envelope. Yet Costa spoke naturally, letting none of his feelings through into his voice. Where are you going? To see Hengley, the planetary operator here. Abravanel told me to stay away from him, to run an entirely new basic survey. Well, we've done that now, and pinpointed some of the trouble areas as well. I can stop feeling guilty about poaching another man's territory, and let him know what's going on. No. Stay away from Hengley, Costa said. The last thing in the world we want to do is to be seen near him. There's a chance that he, well, might be compromised. What do you mean? Neil snapped. Hangley's a friend of mine, a graduate. He might be surrounded ten deep by the secret police. Did you stop to think about that? Neil hadn't thought about it, and his anger vanished when he did. Costa drove the point home. Societics has been a well-kept secret for over two centuries. It may still be a secret, or bits of it might have leaked out. And even if the Hamelians know nothing about societics, they have certainly heard of espionage. They know the UN has agents on their world. They might think Hengley is one of them. This is all speculation, of course, but we do have one fact. This society of native boobs we turned up, we had no trouble finding them. If Hengley had reliable field men, he should know about them, too. The only reason he hasn't is because he isn't getting the information, which means he's compromised. Reaching back for a chair, Neil fell heavily into it. You're right, of course. I never realized. Good, Costa said. We'll do something to help Hengley tomorrow, but this operation comes first. Sit tight, get some rest, and don't open the door for anyone except me. It had been a long job, and a tiring one, but it was almost over. Neil allowed himself the luxury of a long yawn, then shuffled over to the case of rations they had brought. 
He stripped the seal from something optimistically labeled chicken dinner. It tasted just like the algae it had been made from, and boiled some coffee while it was heating. And all the time he was doing these prosaic tasks, his mind was turning an indigestible fact over and over. It wasn't a conscious process, but it was nevertheless going on. The automatic mechanism of his brain ran it back and forth like a half-heard tune, searching for its name. Neil was tired, or he would have reacted sooner. The idea finally penetrated. One fact he had taken for granted was an obvious impossibility. The coffee splashed to the floor as he jumped to his feet. It's wrong. It has to be wrong, he said aloud, grabbing up the papers. Computations and graphs dropped and were trampled into the spilled coffee. When he finally found the one he wanted, his hands were shaking as he flipped through it. The synopsis of Hengley's reports for the past five years. The gradual rise and fall of the K-factor from month to month. There were no sharp breaks in the curve or gaps in the supporting equations. Societics isn't an exact science, but it's exact enough to know when it's working with incomplete or false information. If Hengsley had been kept in the dark about the SPNB, he would have also been misinformed about other factors. This kind of alteration of the survey would have to show in the equations. It didn't. Time was running out, and Neil had to act. But what to do? He must warn Adao Costa, and the records here had to be protected, or better yet, destroyed. There was a power in these machines and charts that couldn't be allowed to fall into nationalist hands. But what could be done about it? In all the welter of equipment and containers there was one solid heavy box that he had never opened. It belonged to Costa, and the U.N. man had never unlocked it in his presence. Neil looked at the heavy clasps on it and felt defeat. But when he pulled at the lid, wondering what to do next, it fell open. It hadn't been sealed. Costa wasn't the kind of man who did things by accident. He had looked forward to the time when Neil might need what was in that box, and had it ready. Inside was just what Neil expected. Grenades, guns, some smoothly polished devices that held an aura of violence. Looking at them, Neil had an overwhelming sensation of defeat. His life was dedicated to peace and the furthering of peace. He hated the violence that seemed inborn in man, and detested all the hypocritical rationalizations, such as the ends justifying the means. All of his training and personal inclinations were against it. And he reached down and removed the blunt black gun. There was one other thing he recognized in the compact arsenal, a time bomb. There had been lectures on this mechanism in school, since the fact was clearly recognized that a time might come when equipment had to be destroyed rather than fall into the wrong hands. He had never seen one since, but he had learned the lesson well. Neil pushed the open chest nearer to his instruments and set the bomb dial for fifteen minutes. He slipped the gun into his pocket, started the fuse, and carefully locked the door when he left. The bridges were burned. Now he had to find Adao Costa. The entire operation was outside of his experience and knowledge. He could think of no plan that could possibly make things easier or safer. All he could do was head for the offices of the Society for the Protection of the Native-Born. 
and hope he could catch Adao before he ran into any trouble. Two blocks away from the address he heard the sirens. Trying to act as natural as the other pedestrians, he turned to look as the armored cars and trucks hurtled by. Packed with armed police, their sirens and revolving lights cleared a path through the dark streets. Neil kept walking, following the cars now. The street he wanted to go into was cordoned off. Showing more than a normal interest would have been a giveaway. He let himself be hurried past with no more than a glance down the block with the other pedestrians. Cars and men were clustered around a doorway that Neil felt sure was number 265, his destination. Something was very wrong. Had Costa walked into a trap, or tripped an alarm? It didn't really matter which. Either way, the balloon had gone up. Neil walked on, slowly, painfully aware of his own inadequacy in dealing with the situation. It was a time for action, but what action? He hadn't the slightest idea where Costa was or how he could be of help to him. Halfway down the block there was a dark mouth of an alleyway, unguarded. Without stopping to think, Neil turned into it. It would bring him closer to the building. Perhaps Costa was still trapped in there. He could get in, help him. The back of 265 was quiet, with no hint of the activity on the other side of the building. Neil had counted carefully and was sure he had the right one. It was completely dark in the unlit alley, but he found a recessed door by touch. The chances were it was locked, but he moved into the alcove and leaned his weight against it, pulling at the handle just in case. Nothing moved. An inch behind his back the alley filled with light, washed with it, eye-burning and strong. His eyes snapped shut, but he forced them open again, blinking against the pane. There were searchlights at each end of the alley, sealing it off. He couldn't get out. In the instant before the fear hit him he saw the blood spots on the ground. There were three of them, large and glistening redly wet. They extended in a straight line away from him, pointing toward the gaping entrance of a cellar. When the lights went out Neil dived headlong toward the cracked and filthy pavement. The darkness meant that the police were moving slowly towards him from both ends of the alley, trapping him in between. There was nothing doubtful about the fate of an armed earthman caught here. He didn't care. Neil's fear was gone. He just had not time to think about it. His long shot had paid off, and there was still a chance he could get Costa out of the trap he had let him walk into. The lights had burned an after-image into his retina. Before it faded he reached out and felt his fingers slide across the dusty ground into a patch of wetness. He scrubbed at it with his sleeve, soaking up the blood, wiping the spot fiercely. With his other hand he pushed together a pile of dust and dirt, spreading it over the stain. As soon as he was sure the stain was covered he slid forward, groping for the second telltale splash. Time was his enemy and he had no way to measure it. He could have been lying in the rubble of that alley for an hour or a second. What was to be done? had to be done at once without a sound. There were silent, deadly men coming towards him through the darkness. After the second smear was covered there was a drawn-out moment of fear when he couldn't find the third and last. His fingers touched it finally, much farther on than he had expected. Time had certainly run out, yet he forced himself to do as good a job here as he had with the other two. 
Only when it was dried and covered did he allow himself to slide forward into the cellar entrance. Everything was going too fast. He had time for a single deep breath before the shriek of a whistle paralyzed him again. Footsteps slapped towards him, and one of the searchlights burned with light. The footsteps speeded up, and the man ran by, close enough for Neil to touch if he had reached out a hand. His clothing was shapeless and torn, his head and face thick with hair. That was all Neil had time to see before the guns roared and burned the life from the runner. Some derelict sleeping in the alley, who had paid with his life for being in the wrong spot at the wrong time. But his death had brought Neil a little more time. He turned and looked into the barrel of a gun. End of section 3